this morning we are, we are approaching Easter. We are getting close, just two weeks away. And in this season of Lent, we are reminded of our role in following Jesus to the cross. And we must keep our attention on what is happening in front of us. We are prone to get distracted. We are prone to, to follow the newest fads, the newest things, or the glittering Glistle of, glistle's not a word, I just made that up. The, the glittering glistle of the world. But in this moment, we must stay focused on where Christ is leading us. Because in that space, albeit hard, we will find life, liberation, hope, renewal. If you follow uh, the trends, I, I often follow trends, and we often see things that, uh, trends that pop up, right? Like diets and fads and things that they all come up at the same time and the new one comes up. And I feel like there's a certain trend right now in this idea, I think there's several books written on it, on the idea of an energy vampire, right? There's blogs and memes and, and Facebook posts about people that may suck your energy away, that we call them toxic people. So the idea is that, that sort of this movement and this trend is to eliminate toxic people from our life, to people that suck our energy away, that we'll kind of push them away, that we'll, we'll, we'll move our life away from them a little bit. But in this trend, I, I begin asking, is this a, is this a is this a Christian idea? Is, is, should, should the church embrace this sort of uh, trend? Or maybe is there something else happening that we need to see here clearly? Because I think, like, um, honestly, um, we're all toxic, right, in our own way. Um, I mean, <laughs> y'all are like, no, I'm not. Speak for yourself. <laughs> You know, when you see one of, those, one of those memes on Facebook or social media on Twitter that says, hey, eliminate toxic people from your life, you know that somebody, like, oh, you're thinking of somebody when you read that, but somebody's probably also thinking about you too. Because <laughs> we're all broken. We all come to this life broken and trying. We're awkwardly engaging with one another. We all don't have the, the, the honed-in social skills. We, 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 we are broken people, all of us. You ever been in a, a dinner conversation, or maybe this will happen to you today at brunch, and you're talking to somebody, and you start the conversation, you're really driving, and, and you love where this conversation is going, and then that person says something, and it takes a turn, and you are like, oh my goodness, where's my exit? How do I get out of this conversation? You ever been there? Yeah? And so, and you're at a dinner party, and, and you, you're, there's other people near you, and they start talking, and you're like listening. You're not listening to this person anymore. You're listening to the other people, because you're thinking, how can I get in on that conversation and get out of this? Virginia, you said you lived in Virginia? Oh, wow, me too. You, like, right? You've been there? You've been there? I've been there. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that some of y'all right now are thinking, like, yeah, Jason, try putting up with you for this time. Some of y'all are like, man, we got to deal with this guy. Well, all right, we'll, we'll manage it. We'll deal. Hopefully it won't last too long, but we'll get, we'll get through this together. Okay, I guess I'll invite him over for dinner sometime. And the longest dinner ever. You ever, you ever had those? This reminds me of like, what is, what, how do we respond to this sort of idea that life is, seems right now to be pushing us further and further away from people that are different from us? Life seems to be encouraging us to build relationships only with people that you like, only with people that you have lots in common with, only with people that jive with what you jive with, right? But 
I'm afraid that the way that society is pushing us is the only way that we're ever going to be happy is to be completely alone. Alone at the table, eating our bacon and eggs. And while we may agree with everybody at the table, (laughs) which is us, we'll be miserable. It's a certain misery, is it, not to have anybody in our lives. I think there is a, a certain beauty in engaging with people that are very different from you. And engaging in a long-term relationship with people that like, you know what? They're like, they're like hard. They're, they're like, oh man, like, ah, just something there. But you still engage. You still go there. Brene Brown, you all, many of you know Brene Brown. She's fantastic and has many books and TED Talks. She had this quote that she said, I thought the church would be like an epidural that would take away my pain. But it wasn't. The church was more like a midwife helping me give birth to new life, but not taking my pain away. That is very important to note, isn't it? Because in this church as a community, there are people that will annoy us to no end, right? That we will not jive with, that their experiences are so different from us, that their perspective, that the way they engage social world is so different from ours. We'll just be like, oh, they're sitting over there. Oh, I think I'll sit over there today. I know this is not for y'all. No one's ever thought this before. I'm, I'm preaching for like us other people that may hear it online, of course. But I think there's something beautiful in the church, isn't there, about sitting down with people who are so different from us. Maybe today at brunch, when you sit down and there's some seats in front of you and you're thinking, ooh, I hope this person comes and they don't come and sit before you, but somebody that you don't know sits before you, maybe that is a moment of a special blessing to unlock a new life that God is bringing to you today. And if we try to continually curate our life to only the people that are like us, then we will continue to be sick and unwhole. Because it is only in those relationships, those dynamic relationships of people that are different from us, that we begin to see the things that we need to see about ourselves, the things that we need to see about each other. That is the beauty of the communion table. And although we don't all get around a communion table, the the idea is that the early church did. And we ate with people who were in different social statuses, different ethnicities, different jobs, different genders, different sexualities, and we all sit there together. And at this space, we are saying, we're in this together. We're in this. We, we may need to take some breaks from each other, yes. We may need to, like, take some breaks. You know, in Jesus, um, the scriptures are full of this phrase, and Jesus drew himself away for prayer. I, I think he was praying, but also, I think he was drawing himself away from the disciples who were probably driving him crazy. Like, I need a moment. I'm going to pray, y'all. And like, no one has the audacity to be like, oh, I'm going to come with you as you pray. You know, that's, that's a great, if you, if you ever need a line to get away, just be like, I need to go pray for a little bit. <laughs> no one will follow you. I promise. <laughs> Try it out today. I'm not saying I've ever done that or anything, but. <clears throat> and this brings us to our text today, which is maybe a familiar text to you. It is John 12. One through eight. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. 
And the house was filled with the fragrance of this perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a a whole year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper. As the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she would save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. What stands out to you? This is the word of the Lord for the, for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Sorry, that was, I completely botched that one. We'll leave it there. What stood out to you in this text today? What struck you? Maybe you, you could smell the fragrance of the perfume. Maybe if you are a woman with long hair, you, you know how, how like, it, I'm going to, she's going to have to wash her hair after that. It's going to be, oh, that's a, maybe if you were an onlooker, what would you have seen in this moment? What would it felt like to you? To me, I'm struck by a few things. I'm struck that Mary was the one that really saw what was happening here. Jesus was on his way to crucifixion, and in, in, it, would, it would say in six days here, he would be put to death. Mary saw it. She understood it. She, the Gospels are always pushing us into this to say the disciples are driven by an agenda that is not Jesus's, and Jesus is drawing them in. But the women around Jesus always saw what was going on. They saw it clearly. The gospel is showing us that Mary here saw it clearly and she would be with Jesus to the end. When everyone scattered and left, Mary would be there. And so here, what stands out to you? There's been many sermons you've probably heard if you've been on the church, been in the church about so many elements here. But the thing that stands out to me the most is this. Why did Jesus keep Judas around? Why, why, didn't, why didn't Jesus say, Judas, it's time for you to go now. You, you're not well. You're going to betray me. You're not thinking the right thoughts. You need to leave. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus knew what Judas was doing. Jesus knew that Judas was betray him. But why did he keep him around? Because I think there's room at the table for everyone in Jesus' movement. And we don't like to think that about people that we don't like, Right? We, we only like to think that about people that bring the movement some sort of blessing, some sort of joy. But, but when it gets to people that are stealing, like, what do, we, what do we do? People that may betray us, what do we do? The disciples were a mess, if you read the Gospels. They, they did not have Jesus figured out. They had their own agendas. And I don't know if you're familiar with the backstory of the disciples, but, man, it was, it was a crowd. It was, it was a group of people that were so different in every way. Matthew and, and Simon and Andrew, Peter and Andrew, they were fishermen. They spent their life fishermen. And if you know anything about first century fishermen living in Judea, they were taxed beyond belief. They could barely survive anymore because of the Roman taxation system that used them to, benefit, to feed an empire. So, so there they were. Imagine how you would be angry at the Roman Empire if they'd taxed you so heavily that you'd, you'd lost everything. And then there was Matthew. Well, he was a tax collector for the Romans. He was the one who went to fishermen like Peter and Andrew and said, Hey, you need to pay your taxes, and if you don't, we're going to foreclose on your boat and on your house. 
And then you threw in James and John. They, called, they were called the sons of thunder. Do you know why they were called the sons of thunder? Because they were zealots. And the zealots were a whole group of people that wanted to literally overthrow Rome with violence. They wanted to kill the Romans. So there was all these stories of zealots killing Roman soldiers, Roman officials. Like they were an insurgency of violence. And then there was Judas. I mean, Judas, we don't know a whole lot, of, but we do know where he was from. He was a ta- he, from, from a town that was full of nationalist insurgents. Again, like they wanted revolution through violence. That's not even talking about the rest. This is just two, three, four, five, six. There's like five or six others. They were all from different places, different clans, different villages, rivals. They didn't like... They, can you imagine anyone liking Matthew at that table? No. You would imagine the competing agenda of James and John saying, hey, we, gotta, we, we, we have to overthrow those Romans. And Matthew's like, oh, I don't know. I don't think it's right. Along with Peter and Andrew, they're like, ah, oh, yeah. What a weird crew to start a whole movement with. I mean, this is not how you start a church. Believe me. I, like, this is not the group of people you want to begin a church movement because all that would happen was like you just be in fights all the time. Like, people would just be arguing all the time. So you see why Jesus would be like, y'all, I'm going to pray. Yeah, I'm going to get away for a minute. But Jesus, it's remarkable. Jesus kept everyone around. And then you begin to throw in the, the, the women at the table, Mary and Martha and, and those around them, to say, hey, come on in. Whoa, this Jesus is bringing everybody into this table, to this movement, because Jesus can handle it all. To Jesus, there were no toxic people. To Jesus, there was no one not worthy of being part of this movement. To Jesus, there was no one who was outside the boundaries of what's possible here, of what God can do. Jesus took this ragtag group of of divided people and brought them together and used it as a strength to build a movement. Incredible. Incredible. So I think of these ideas of energy vampires and people who are toxic and people who suck. Like, the church, no, we don't have any room for that. We don't have any room for that. We are called to engage with people that are radically different from us, that engage different, the, the, we engage different socially, we engage d- different politically, we engage different in all sorts of ways of life, and we are called to be that group of people that are together and that's hard. It's hard to engage with people that we don't like very much, that we don't have much in common with, that we don't agree with politically right now. It's hard, isn't it? I mean, I mean, for the last couple of weeks, I, 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 get a, I get a lot of fan mail. I call it fan mail. <laughs> um, not from y'all, but, but from other people. I get a lot of fan mail. And, and a lot of people tell me how terrible I am because of whatever uh, topic I'm standing up for or, or whatever um, we're preaching about. And they tell me how wrong I am, how terrible I am, how I'm a disgrace, how I'm going to go to hell, how I'm leading everybody else to hell. And, and like, but but I, sometimes that hurts. But I have to step back and, and realize they need to be at the table too. They need to be here as well. And even though they don't want to be, my response can't be to be like, I'm not going to pull out my chair and be like, no, you got to go. You can't be here anymore. 
I may need to be engaged in the other conversation for just a minute. <laughs> I'd be like, Virginia, you're from Virginia. Yes. <laughs> but to not leave the table. And that gets even harder. But Jesus' call is clear. To love your enemy. And we can't respond in a way that we are getting responded to. We must be the ones that say, hey, listen, I, like you hurt, this hurts, this is not cool, we stand up for ourselves, but you have a place here too. And even though you may not acknowledge my right to be here, I acknowledge your right to be here. I acknowledge your goodness. I acknowledge your beauty. I acknowledge that God loves you just as much as God loves me. Here, Mary sees what Judas doesn't see. Judas is worried about the money, and he says, couldn't this money be given to the poor? And in and, and another gospel, the, the whole, all the disciples were feeling this way. And there was probably all these social dynamics of here's a woman who, who probably has some means. I mean, if she has, a, she has some perfume that costs a year's wages, I mean, I know what I make in a year, and be like, dang, like, that's, that's some nice perfume, Right? Whoa, I wouldn't pour that on, like, sorry, Jesus, like, I feel the same way. But, but here Mary is, this is all she has to give. Maybe this is her life savings. Maybe this is the most important thing to her. Maybe it's what, what gives her status in society. And here she is, she is pouring it at the feet of Jesus because she has been redeemed. She has been set free, and there is nothing that she is not willing to offer Jesus in this moment. Because Jesus has shown her a new life, a new world. Today, what is the most valuable thing to you? What is that thing that gives you your social status? Maybe we are all being asked to put that at Jesus' feet and say, we will trust you more than we trust the perfume that makes us look good in society. We will trust your future, your goodness, your mercy for us. And here she is. She's the only one that sees like Jesus is on his way to death. All the others are competing rivals to this movement. And even Judas, none of the disciples had shown any concern for the poor up to this point. They're just using the poor in order to build their movement. Man, we still do that, don't we? Don't we still do that? We use the poor, we use the oppressed as a way to build a movement. This is what Judas was doing. And Jesus said, hey, leave her alone. Because you're always going to have the poor. Now this verse has been misused and abused throughout the history of the church. Lots of times we hear this verse that Jesus says and we feel like it's an excuse to be like, no, we shouldn't help the poor because we're always going to have the poor. But this is a direct quote from Deuteronomy 15 that says, If anyone is poor among your people in any of the towns of the land that the Lord has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted with them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend to them whatever they need. There will all be, always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards those of your people who are poor and needy in your land. Jesus here is reminding the crowd that the systems of our world create poverty, that the systems of our world create the situations where people have to live in the depravity of poverty, pushed aside outside of society, and scapegoated for the, for the problems of humanity. Jesus here is saying, listen, Listen, we're going to have the poor because you all don't do what you need to do because you're not open-handed. You're using the poor, Judas, right now to bless yourself, 
to get an upper hand, to create the movements that you want to create. I believe we should genuinely give to the poor every moment we have. But we also remember that it's not just, it's not just poor, it's not just money that makes someone poor, it's exclusion that makes someone poor. I love what Love Wins talks about. Love Wins is in our building, and they keep talking about homelessness is not a lack of a home. Rather, homelessness is a lack of community. Lack of community. Yes. Because you're pushed out to the margins of society. And our calling as a church is to be those that, that bring in everyone and say, sit down at the table. You are now friend. You are now one of us. You are now an equal. You are now included with us and our future. And we will stand up for you and you for us. And we will link hand in hand as we journey in this life together. Jesus is saying, when, when Mary anoints Jesus' feet, Mary is not only blessing Jesus with what she has, she is in some ways anointing his whole movement of saying, I agree with all that you are, Jesus. And I surrender myself, my future, my social status to everything that you stand for, Jesus. To the inclusion of all people. To, to the justice of God. To bring down the walls of oppression and separation. I stand for you, Jesus, and all that you are in your movement of jubilee to forgive debt, both real, financial, and social. Mary here gets it. While Judas is scrambling to save his own face and his movement that he thinks Jesus should be about. Today, where are we in this story? Where are we? Are we using Jesus as a way to get ahead in life, as a bit of a social status? Or are we coming to Jesus in this moment and offering Jesus everything that we got? This is all I got, Jesus. This is my social status. This is my future. This is my past. This is my present. I am putting it on your feet, literally, because I want to be with you. I stand for what you stand with, and I am anointing you and agreeing with you and following you to the way of the cross. Today, where are you in this story? Where are you today? Do you come to church to stop the pain? Church, I don't believe stops the pain. It just gives you a different sort of pain. We are all being called to give birth to new life in our walk with Jesus. Jesus is not the one who will take away all the discomfort. No, Jesus rather is a midwife that is helping us to give birth to the liberated life that he's put within us. Urging us on, holding our hand, encouraging us and empowering us and saying, you can do it. You are strong and you are beautiful and you are called to more and you are created in my image and I know you can do it. Yes, it will be uncomfortable. I've, I've never given birth, but I've watched it a few times and it looks, <clears throat> well, difficult. And <laughs> And so for us men in here, we don't quite know what it feels like to give birth. But, but for many of us women, they do. 
And so we are being called in this moment to stand in this place and to give birth to what God is calling in us. And that means inviting people in that we may not like. Keeping people at the table that we know like this may not end well. But we're going to stay here at this table. Jesus is calling us and inviting us and birthing in us and, and, and pulling us in. Jesus kept Judas around and he kept all the disciples around and he's keeping me around too. Because I'm probably a pain in the butt sometimes to Jesus. But he's keeping me around. And he's keeping you around. And he's keeping all of us around. So let us today go out of our way for one another. Because maybe in that relationship that you don't want any part of, maybe that's the place where your liberation happens. Maybe that's the place where your future hope is ignited. Who is that person for you? Who is that person that you've maybe pushed away? That maybe you need to bring back in. Maybe you need to reach out to once again and say, Hey, you want to go grab a drink sometime? You want to go get coffee? You know it's going to be hard. And you may need to pray afterwards. Draw yourself away. But God is calling us to be something more than we see in the world. God is calling us to be something greater than we see in the world. In the world, we we walk out of here and everything is divided along lines of race and sexuality and politics. No, we are to be something more than that, church. Because God has put a dream within us, the dream of the kingdom of God. And in that kingdom, we are the ambassadors. As Annette talked about last week, we are those that go out and say, hey, we are serving the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and this king is calling all people to the table, and we will be there, and we will be arbitrators of peace among all groups of people. Today, as we journey to the cross, Where are you? Jesus is calling us to embrace his way, to be like Mary and saying, I am pouring out all I have upon you to the way of inclusion, to the way of justice, to the way of saying all people can be at this table. Where are you today? Are you Mary? Or are you acting more like Judas today, seeking your own agenda your own thoughts about what Jesus should be doing, about who should be and shouldn't be at the table. Today, where are you? Let's pray. Lord God of heaven and earth, we bring to you all of our pain, all of our brokenness, all of the ways that we have failed you. Lord, we bring to you today our division the way that we have been divided against others, the way that we have pushed each other out and away. Lord, we pray that in this moment as we journey to you towards the cross and the tomb that you would ignite in us a desire, a power, an ability to reach beyond our own capacity, to reach across the aisle, to go next door, to reach out to those that maybe have hurt us, And to remind them that even though they have thrown stones in our face. That we will remind them that yes you too are indeed a child of God. And Jesus is welcoming you to the table of life. To the banquet of hope. Lord we pray that in this moment you would help us to be the ambassadors of your reconciliation. 
that you would help us to be like Mary, to lay down our agenda, to lay down our future, to lay down the things that give us our status in the world, and to literally wipe them on your feet and say, Jesus, we are yours. We will go where you go. We will do what you call us to do because you have the words of life and where else shall we go? And so in the next two weeks, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to follow you on the way to the cross. That we would not leave that space. That we would see clearly that you are bringing life to all people everywhere. And we pray that we can be a part of that. In the name of Jesus, amen.